0: We're coming before the Lord this morning to gather around the Lord's table. And it's usually our custom to conclude our service with this remembrance. But on occasion, we will do this at the beginning of the service because I know some of you would like your children to learn about what we're doing when we observe the Lord's table. Uh, we would ask you as parents to um, help make decisions related to your children's participation. But uh, we'd like them to to hear and to know what's going on when we celebrate the Lord's table. When we open the scriptures, we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that the Lord has given us some very clear instructions about the way we are to gather around the Lord's table. And we generally focus on 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and the verses that uh, generally speak of what was said by the Lord himself at that uh, event when he instituted the Lord's table and in first corinthians chapter eleven beginning there at verse twenty three the apostle paul said for i received from the lord that which i also delivered to you that the lord jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said take eat this is my body which is broken for you Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do, as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. This is a memorial. This is a time that we look back to remember what it is that Jesus Christ did for us when he went to the cross of Calvary, shed his blood, died, to pay for our sin, to carry all of the punishment that we deserve upon himself, and then to be buried and to rise again from the dead. And he said, what I want you to do is I want you to remember me when you gather around this table. Whenever you choose as a church to do that, your purpose is to remember me. And so we do then the Lord goes on to give some clear instructions that are related to participation in the Lord's table and one of the things that he asks us to do is to examine ourselves and I think there are two levels of examination that are included one is to determine first of all if we have been born into God's family by accepting Christ as our Savior you're here today because you were born physically but the question remains have you been born again spiritually the Bible says that no one will see the kingdom of heaven unless he is born again And what the Lord means by that is that we abandon any trust that we have in our own righteousness in things that we think are going to earn merit before God joining a church being baptized doing the things that religious people do and God himself said it is not by works of righteousness that you have done but it's according to his mercy that he saves us and he does that as we reach out in faith and we receive Christ as our Savior we call upon his name and recognize that he died not just for our sins but he died for me and he died for you and you trust in him and you receive eternal life now when you participate in partaking of the bread that represents his body and the cup that represents his shed blood you do so from a point of knowledge and understanding if you have not trusted Christ as Savior you can participate in this many many times and it will do nothing for your eternal well-being and so the issue is faith first in Christ and then doing this as he said in remembrance of me. The other element of self-examination comes down to whether or not there is sin that's in our lives. Every time we gather around the Lord's table we are forced to examine ourselves and to determine whether or not we are walking in obedience to the Lord and if we're not walking in obedience to Him now we have the opportunity to confess that sin and as He promises, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so when we participate in the Lord's table, we are to do it having been born again, and we are to do it having clean hands and a clean heart. And so then we participate, and we partake. Those are generally the things that we focus upon. But there is another verse that falls right in between the instructions related to how we receive the bread and the cup, And that which tells us to examine ourselves. And if you had your Bibles open, and even if you didn't, just listen to this. In verse 26, it says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. I think we maybe ought to make more of that part of it. We proclaim his death... Till he comes. And sometimes when people gather around the Lord's table, they do so with such somber expressions on their face, trying to go back and imagine what the suffering of Christ must have been like. And and I'm sure that that is a valid thing for us to do. Uh, He suffered horribly physically, but other people have suffered horribly physically. But no one ever experienced the suffering that he did Spiritually, when our sin was placed upon Him and the Father forsook Him and in the first occasion in all of eternity, the Father turns His back on the Son and the Son cries out, My God, My God, why have You forsaken Me? And the reason is very simple. Christ was carrying the punishment we deserve. And when that price was fully paid, the infinite God paying for our sin, for my sin, when that price was paid, Christ could cry out, it is finished. And there was nothing left to be added to the benefits of what Christ did for us at the cross of Calvary. A sacrifice once and for all. We do not recognize this as re-crucifying Christ. That's why we don't call this a mass. This is a remembrance. Because Christ was crucified once. And that crucifixion and resurrection of Christ was all that was necessary to fulfill the righteous demands of a holy God. And then, he said, Now, now that that's done, here's what I want you to do. I want you to look forward to that which I have prepared for you. Do this until he comes. What does that do for us? It gives us a great deal of hope. I mean... I, I can look back on what Christ did for me and the sadness of what He had to pay for my sin is certainly there. But there is also a very joyful element that says this. He has prepared a place for me and I will do this in remembrance of Him until He comes. And I'm looking forward to heaven. Now I might die first but then I'll go to be with Him. And so I live in hope today. I don't live in sorrow and defeat. This was victory. This places hope within us. And when you start talking about that, you begin to get people's attention concerning what the Lord has prepared for them. And I want to read something really special to you. In the K4 program, We have Mrs. Peters and and others involved in in that work with the preschool children. And as you know, two weeks ago we had a special Heaven Sunday. And so many of the teachers were involved in telling the kids about the blessings of heaven and what heaven is going to be like and why we can have hope and what we can look forward to. And one of the four-year-olds took what she had heard and carried it home to her parents. Her parents then wrote back and expressed to Mrs. Peters, here is what her daughter had been learning at school. Lily has been telling me all about heaven this last week. Sweet. Quote, Mama, did you know the streets are going to be gold? Mama, did you know the gates are all out of Pearls from oysters? (laughs) That's going to be one huge oyster. No, there's going to be 12 huge oysters. I guess I better get my theology right. There are jewels everywhere. I love jewels. Does it sound like she's looking forward to heaven? She described how there would be no darkness, but there won't be lights. The light will come from Jesus. Okay. Now you have to laugh at this one. Mama, did you know that you never get older? That in and of itself was good, but there's more. So if you die right now, you will never be as old as Mrs. Peters. (laughs) The mother writes, come on. Uh, that's funny. <laughs> then she adds, you're young and beautiful. Then she says, she spent a lot of detail on how no one will be sick, have a cold, have a runny nose, never tired, no naps, never grumpy, never feel bad. She was a little concerned about her bunny and blanky, her lovies that she won't have them in heaven. Then she leaned in like a secret with a giggly smile and whispered, Before I fly up to heaven, I'm going to grab Bunny and Blanky, and they're going to fly up with me. (laughs) And then the mother adds, God bless you for all that you do and teach my children. Do this until he comes. Gentlemen, would you come? Let's pray and have a moment of remembrance of what Christ did for us in offering his body as a sacrifice for our sins father as we consider the tremendous price that was paid for our salvation for the forgiveness of our sins and for the free gift of eternal life that you give to those who trust in christ we cannot help but give special praise and thanks because of what jesus did for us in taking upon himself our sins He carried our sins in his body on the cross. And our boast, our glory, all focuses upon the cross and what Jesus did for us there. We thank you, Father, that in light of his giving himself, we now have the hope of eternal life. Because Christ rose from the dead those who by faith have trusted in Him as Savior will rise also. And we give you the praise and the glory as we remember our Savior, who is coming again. Amen. savior said take eat this is my body which is broken for you do this in remembrance of me and then they gave thanks for the cup that represented the shed blood of christ and pastor steve is going to come and do that lord as we're reminded and continue to remember what you've done for us we pause to praise you and thank you for the shedding of blood. Scripture says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. We thank you for the, and reminded by the fact that what you've done for us once and for all doesn't cover our sin, but cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And we praise you for that. And may the reminder, rem, being reminded by the fact that you are coming back. May we live in a way that we're prepared to see you face to face. We praise you and look forward to that day when you will return. In your name we pray. Our Savior said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And then the Apostle Paul went on to say, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he comes. Are you looking forward to being with the Lord? But you're not ready to go right now. George is ready to go. A few here are. For most of us, we're probably going to be here for a little while yet. And so there's still work to do, isn't there? Let's look and see what we should be doing. Take your Bibles, please. Thank you. And if you will, please open them to the book of Acts. You bet. Thank you. And in the 16th chapter, there's a relatively short passage of Scripture here that I'd like us to read that is really the continuation of what we have been studying together over the past uh, weeks and months, some would say years. Chapter 16 of Acts. Beginning at verse 6, it says, Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. It's part of what we have to do until the Lord comes. That is, proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to a world that's dead in trespasses and sins. We're going to pray and then we're going to receive our offering and following that we're going to have an opportunity to open up this portion of the word together a little bit more. Let's pray. Father, what a privilege it is to gather today in this place with the church. We're thankful, Father, that the people here make up this local body that shows through the way we live and the things that we do the love and the beauty of Jesus Christ. I pray that he would be seen clearly in our lives. And Father, in every way that we worship you, we pray that you would be pleased. As we have the opportunity now to give, we pray that you would be glorified through that which is given for the glory of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Take a little poll. How many of you would say that ambition is good? Just raise your hands. Ambition is good. How many of you would say ambition is bad? Okay. Three said ambition's bad. Um, how many of you would not vote either way because you're afraid it's a trap? Well, ambition can be good and it can be bad, depending on how you understand ambition to be. There is a quote that was made by a fellow by the name of T.D. English who said, Ambition is the germ from which all growth of nobleness proceeds. Ambition is good. Dwight Moody said, I believe firmly that the moment our hearts are emptied of pride and selfishness and ambition and everything that is contrary to God's law, the Holy Spirit will fill every corner of our hearts. But if we are full of pride and conceit and ambition and the world, there is no room for the Spirit of God. So ambition is good and ambition is bad and you could answer that either way and I noticed one of our people did, one of our persons, one of our people Dave Geyer did answered it both ways because it all depends what is motivating your ambition if ambition is the product of your desire to become wealthy that's your goal, to become powerful that's your goal, to become well-known, that's your goal. Ambition can drive you to achieve those things, but they will not be good. They will not be wholesome. They will not be what God would intend. But if your ambition is motivated by that which God lays before you and says, this is the direction I would like your life to go, These are the things that I would like you to accomplish that ultimately will bring glory to me. In that regard, our ambition would be proper, it would be right, and it would be motivating. The Apostle Paul was a man who I think in all definitions was a very ambitious man. Until he came to Christ, he was very ambitious in fulfilling the desires of the religious leaders of the day in their philosophy that was diametrically opposed to Christ. But after he came to Christ and he saw the truth, his ambition changed 180 degrees. And he began to focus his attention, his energies, and the direction of his life upon that which was the fulfillment of God's purpose him and he became very ambitious doing that which pleased the Lord. Now, the question is, what type of ambition do we have? Are we ambitious to accomplish that which to us will be the definition of success? Or will the definition of success be reevaluated to the point where we're willing to say, This Lord, I want your will for my life to be my ambition. And when I am moving in a direction that I ought not go, I want you to be the one who would stop me and move me in the right direction. We read just a few moments ago about an event that took place in the Apostle Paul's life. And just to kind of bring back our our, uh, focus of thinking, you remember how earlier Paul and Barnabas had a conflict over whether or not John Mark would go with them on their revisiting the churches to which they had already uh, given the gospel. And the the conflict became so great that Barnabas took John Mark and they went to the island of Sa- Cyprus, and Paul took Silas, and he went back to begin to visit the churches where they had gone before. Now, in your, well, even more than your mind's eye, we have a map that I'd like you to see that shows a little bit about this traveling that the Apostle Paul did. Um, if you can see this clearly, this is really an outline of the second missionary journey that the Apostle Paul made. And he began here in Antioch, and then he and Silas made their way back up into this uh, area of um, Pamphylia, which would be down in here, and into... Galatia, which would be this area right in here, and they went back to Derby and to Lystra, and they were going back to visit the churches that they had helped establish before. But then the Bible tells us that they wanted to go into Asia. Now, this Asia is not the way you and I would think of Asia today. This was the province of Asia, which is what would be the primary. Landmass of what would be present-day Turkey. And the Lord said, no, you're, you're not going there. And so they went a little further, they went to Troas, and then they thought, well, maybe what we could do is go up here into Bithynia. And I think it was Paul's ambition to take the gospel into both of these regions, both here and up here, and the Lord said, no. How did the Lord tell him no? What what did the Lord use? And we're not told. We, we don't know if this was a matter of something in his own heart that just took his peace away, where he just felt, you know, something's not right about this. I, I don't know if this is the direction we should go. Or maybe it was just circumstances. The way the circumstances unfolded, maybe they didn't have the the resources that they needed to go into those regions. Maybe it was something in the Word itself, the, the Word of God itself, that stopped him and prohibited him from moving into those two areas. Maybe it was the counsel of Silas and the young man Timothy who they had picked up when they were there in that earlier region down here in Derby Um, maybe it was them just saying you know what Paul we don't think this is the right way to go or maybe the Lord sent a messenger to Paul to help him understand um, this is not what God wants perhaps an angelic visitor which has happened in previous events in, in the scriptures I don't know all I know is this that Paul's ambition was not so deeply entrenched within his own heart that he did not allow the Lord to redirect that ambition to move in a completely different direction. When the word came to Paul, however that came, that he was not to go into Asia Minor, not to go into Bithynia, he went to Troas, and while he was in Troas, he had a vision during the night of a Macedonian. Now Macedonia is this area over here. And now he would have to cross the Aegean Sea and move into Macedonia that would then take him into a whole different direction from what he had originally intended to go until he completed his second missionary journey. Why would the Lord ever change this ambition that Paul had? Wasn't it a good thing? He, he was trying to do something that was good, and God said no. Have you ever done, or had an ambition to do something that you thought was good, and God said no? Has that ever happened to anybody? Maybe you were going to go into a different occupation. Maybe you were going to marry another person. Maybe you were going to become involved in some kind of a project and the Lord just intervened and you knew this was not what He wanted you to do. Why does He do that? Especially when we are motivated by that which we perceive to be good. And when we follow the life of Paul, we begin to understand. You know why the Lord interrupts our ambitions? Sometimes it's just to protect us. Just to see that things that could happen to us that would not be good, that would not ultimately bring glory to God, to see that those things do not occur. And what the Lord does in protecting us is sometimes He holds us back from that which would bring us harm. What what could possibly happen that, that would bring us harm? And, and the Lord says, well, you don't know what the days ahead hold, but I do. And so I'm going to stop you. Probably every person in this room can think back to a time when they were moving in a particular direction and their direction, their, the, if I can use the word ambition, it might just be a small ambition, but maybe it's something that's much larger. And as they were moving in this direction, it became very, very clear that God said no to protect us. And He moved us a completely different way. He does that through a number of different means that I believe are designed for our protection. Let me give you a case in point. One of the protectors that the Lord sends is His Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit tells us that we are to allow the peace of God to dwell or to be the umpire within our lives, within our hearts. And when we begin to feel uneasy about things, especially as believers, and you need to understand, I'm talking now to believers who have God's Spirit dwelling within them, who understand that God has a purpose for them to fulfill and to accomplish, there is a churning that goes on. And it's really hard to explain. Um, it, it comes at a time when when you say you know I this is what I want to do but I just don't feel right about that I can remember on occasions where sometimes I didn't listen to the umpire you know when the umpire makes a call that's it you don't argue with the umpire that's what the call is now you can fight against it you you can argue with it but is the ump going to change the call no The doesn't change the call. The call is what the call was made. And here you find yourself wanting to do something, but inside the umpire is saying, no, this is not what I want you to do. Um, Gentlemen, if I can address you in particular, sometimes the umpire is more sensitively recognized in the life of your wife. Did you hear what I said? Now, I'm seeing women going. And I'm seeing men going. You can fight this all you want. But I believe that God uses the helper that He has given to men to help them interpret the call of the ump. And if your wife says, I don't think this is a good idea. You better listen. Now, my wife is smiling. Pardon me? You were giggling? (laughs) Some men are pointing to each other. You you all don't get to see everything that I get to see. Um, But there's some really cute things. My wife, I, I can remember this so vividly. When we were living in Wisconsin, it was a beautiful area to go boating. Believe it or not, Wisconsin had beautiful lakes that you could go. And we had a little boat that we were able to buy uh, through some gifts that had been given to us. And uh, we had that for years. And then, you know what boaters do? They always want a bigger boat. Okay? So we went to, to see this boat, and it was gorgeous. The boat we had was a little 15 foot bow rider, open bow, little 85 horsepower motor on the back. But the boat I was looking at, oh, that was a 23 foot. Do you remember the, the make? No, not the Wellcraft, isn't the one we bought. No, not a Bayliner. I had a little Bayliner. It doesn't really matter. All I know is this when you touch this boat, it felt like you were rubbing your hand over satin. It just... Oh. And it had a beautiful cabin that you could go down and you could, you could actually sleep on this boat. You could go camping on it. And it had an I.O., an inboard-outboard motor and, and it just had all the bells and whistles and it was far more than we could afford and I didn't care. It was my ambition to have this boat. And my wife said... Honey, I don't think this is a good idea. And I believe you said, I don't have peace about this. That's the phrase. I don't have peace about this. So I did what any red-blooded, macho, half-brained idiot would do. And I bought the boat. In a matter of weeks, I ordered the boat, didn't buy it, ordered the boat. In just a relatively short period of time, the the Lord redirected us to pastor another church in an area where the boat was not going to be good. And I've got this order in on this boat, and I have to call the guy, and now probably be a bad testimony. Because I said, I'm going to ask you to let me out of the the agreement. Because I think I said to him something to the effect, the Lord has made it clear this is not what he wants us to do. And I appreciate the fact that they respected that. And I don't know, maybe we paid a penalty or whatever, but we got out of buying the boat. And it was just a horrible time. It would have been far better to allow the Lord's protection to take effect... By not ignoring the lack of peace. And I can tell you this, if there is a decision in your life and there is a churning that's going on as a follower of Christ and you are acknowledging God in all your ways, you better figure out this pretty quickly. That is not the way He wants you to go. He will sometimes use circumstances. You have to be very careful about this because circumstances can oftentimes be used even by the enemy to keep us from accomplishing the Lord's will. But as a believer in Christ who is sensitive to the leading of the Spirit of God, we need to evaluate whether or not the circumstances that come our way are God's protective circumstances. It could be that there is a decision you want to make and a direction you want to go, but you just don't have the finances to do it. Now, there are two ways to look at it. If you are convinced this is the way God wants you to go, then you can believe He will pay. But if it's unsure, but this seems to be something that you yourself have decided, this is the way I want to go, you better pay attention to your inability to move forward. Just circumstances. The Word of God will warn you. It will bring your whole attitude into conformity as you are saturated with the Word of God and you allow the Spirit of God to take the Word and appropriate it to your heart, there will never be an occasion where God will direct you to do something that His Word forbids. Write it down, never. Now that's, people say you can never say never, but I can say never to this. God will never contradict His Word. His word is truth, it is established forever, and when God has spoken, we better listen. You know another way he keeps us from harm? By getting wise counsel. By going to people who are genuinely, obviously, walking by the power of the Spirit, who know the word of God, who are sensitive to God's leading, and you go to them for counsel. Not the people that you believe are going to tell you what you want to hear. I think I've told you about this before but to me one of the most heartbreaking things to deal with as a pastor is when a young man or a young woman comes and they say they want to marry a particular individual but it does not seem to be a wise decision because the individual, well I, I'm not even going to say it doesn't seem to be a wise decision it's not a decision they should be making because the other individual is not a believer But they will have friends who are Christians who will tell them, you know what, go ahead, you just pray for this person, and God will bring them to faith in Christ. I want to tell you something. You cross that line, you're moving into real dangerous territory. And I've watched people have their marriages break up. We had a young lady in in the first church that, that we pastored who had a very clear direction from God. To move into training to serve him when a young man from our church came back from the military and she saw him and was enamored with him and chose not to follow God's will and leading but instead chose to marry this fellow that came back from the military. And he was a good guy, don't get me wrong. He was a believer, and from a human point of view, you would look and say he was okay. But we really counseled her not to go this way because it was clear that God was leading her in the other way. Well, she ignored the counsel, married this guy, and within a short time, she had forsaken pretty much everything she had believed, even to the sorrow of the man that she married, became involved with other men, and today is dead. She's dead. And I look at that and I say, what a difference could have been in her life if she had listened to wise counsel. And then sometimes God just sends a messenger your way. And I never want to discount God's capability to do something in a divine fashion where he says, this is not what I want you to do. Are you willing to understand that when God closes the door on your ambition, it is to protect you. It is also, not just to protect you, but it's also to keep you from bad timing. In this situation, what Paul wanted to do, he wanted to go into Asia, you remember what would be present day Turkey, and and. Paul's thinking is, there are people in this land that need the Savior. So what's wrong with going down there? Well, it's not time for him to go there yet. The timing is all wrong. We, we often use this phrase, God answers uh, prayers three one of three ways. Yes, no, or wait. There's a lot of truth to that. There are some things that are appropriate and right at the right time. But you need to be sensitive to the Lord's direction so that you don't get the timing all out of whack. You have to wait at times. Um, I I make a lot of references to to young people getting married because that's where so much of this stuff happens. But on, on the side of young people who want to, to go on to let's say become missionaries and then they find a person that they, they want to marry and instead of training to be a missionary they get married and then they decide well we're going to go to the mission field but they're not prepared for it when if they had just waited and flip flopped things and gotten their training and then united in marriage and then went to the field they'd have been far more effective but they didn't wait for God's time so be careful. You may have the right idea. You just may have the wrong time. Paul had exactly that happen to him. He wanted to go into Asia. Guess what? He got to go, but not then he got to go later when he was better prepared for the things that would come his way when he got to Asia, Ephesus being the first part of that, that trip. And then finally, sometimes we're just ill-prepared. There is a little something in this passage. Go back, if you will, and just take a look at this. In Acts 16, notice in verse 6, Now, who is writing the book of Acts? Luke is the writer. What do we know about Luke? He was a physician, he's a doctor. He he knows how to treat illness, and he knows how to treat injury. And he's a man who is going to become very, very important in God's program in spreading the gospel. Look at what he writes. Verse 6. Then when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul. In the night a man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Did you notice a change in, what do you call them, um, pronouns? It changed from they to we. Guess what happened in Troas? Luke, the physician, joined Paul, Silas, and Timothy for their trip into Macedonia, and Paul would need the help of Luke, the doctor, to help him with the physical affliction that he would face throughout the life of his ministry. If he had gone where he wanted to, he would not have had Luke with him. Now he has Luke and he has somebody that can help treat him. That may seem like a small thing to you, but I want to tell you, unless you are absolutely prepared for what God calls you to accomplish, and you're prepared God's way, you're not ready to go. And Paul was not ready to go into Bithynia or Asia until Luke joined him. Now he's ready. So, God does this to protect us. I want to mention a couple other things very quickly that I think are important for us to see in this. And that is that oftentimes God will stop our ambitions in order to open greater doors for us. It's not always just to protect us, but sometimes it's just to help our vision so that we begin to see God's bigger picture. Uh, my mom used to tell me this regularly. And you remember, I I look back at my mother's influence and she spiritually was the one that that really got me on track. And she, remember, she used to say, and I tell the kids this, be sure your sin will find you out. Have you guys found that to be true? You get caught. Not all the time, huh? Oh, you, you get caught all the time? Oh, good. That's wonderful. That's good. Some of the kids are sitting there. All I can tell you is God does that to protect you. But then there's another thing. She used to say this. Our disappointments are God's appointments. And whenever God disappoints an ambition that you have, it's because he has a better ambition to replace it. And so what God is doing to Paul here is he's giving him a bigger vision. What's taking place? If you realize the, the the geography of what's happening with Paul, you'll notice that the places he wanted to go were going to keep him isolated in this realm here in what we would call Asia Minor uh, through the province of Asia and Phrygia and Pamphylia and Bithynia and all these other places. And he wanted this area for Christ but instead the Lord takes him now I'm looking at it from my point of view let me do it from yours now the Lord takes him to Troas and calls him to Macedonia and guess what begins to happen the gospel instead of being encased in a small geographic location begins to move westward and it goes into Greece And from Greece, it makes its way over to Italy. From Italy, it begins to spread through the continent. And ultimately, that gospel which was proclaimed through the continent of Europe makes its way to a land that will not be discovered until centuries later. And we reap the benefits of the direction that the gospel went. might seem like a little thing. But that was God's plan. Paul saw it like this. And God said, no. I want you to see it like this. And the gospel begins to move. And even to this day, it continues to move westwardly. And moves around the globe to now where it's in China. And the Chinese literally believe that they now have the responsibility to see that the gospel makes it the rest of the way around in fulfillment of the Lord's uh, directive to carry the gospel to all the world. started back here, moved in the right direction. Not only was there the, the vision, but there was the obedience. When when Paul gave himself to what God wanted to do, Paul might have accomplished a certain amount, but now God gives him much more to accomplish. There uh, was an interesting statement that was made by a fellow by the name of A.C. Dixon. And listen to this. He says, when we rely on organization, we get what organization can do. When we rely upon education, we get what education can do. When we rely on eloquence, we get what eloquence can do. But when we rely on the Holy Spirit, we get what God can do. That's what happened here. Paul relied on the Holy Spirit and he got what God could do. There was opportunity that expanded, a much greater door of opportunity. And Paul probably lamented the closing of the doors but found that there were greater opportunities. And then, uh, finally, the accomplishment of what was done. Um, Paul may have gone back to visit some of the other churches, but can I tell you what happened when he went to Macedonia? He established a church in the city of Corinth. He established a church in the city of Thessalonica, he established a church in wait a minute. what did I say? Corinth, Thessalonica uh, Philippi see I got to get this in my my half brain in Philippi, and ultimately in Ephesus which was in the province of Asia do those names all ring a bell? Philippi Thessalonica Corinth Ephesus to each one of those churches God wrote a very very special letter that teaches us today God closed the door on what Paul wanted to do so he could give him a much greater vision and finally Sometimes God will close the door to develop our confidence in him. I'll just mention this very quickly. When Paul responded immediately to the call to Macedonia, he learned a very important lesson. Uh, Some of you recognize the name of uh, G. Campbell Morgan. He made a statement to this effect. It is better to go to Troas with God than anywhere else without him. Paul responded immediately to the call to Troas. And he found out that God's plan was greater than his. The vision was bigger. The opportunities were greater. The objectives were more fulfilling. The accomplishment was phenomenal. And he says, you know, when God closes a door, I want to never try to push that door open again. When He opens the door over here... This is the one I want to go through. And as soon as he's done with the second missionary journey, God calls him to take a third. Do you know how long he hesitates? He doesn't. He takes his third missionary journey, comes back, and then... As he is coming back, he is given messages that warn him about the fact that he is going to be taken captive when he gets back to Jerusalem. And he says, I don't care if they take me captive, and I don't care if they kill me. I am going to do what God wants me to do. And he winds up being arrested and ultimately sent to Rome, where he now has an incredible opportunity to spread the gospel even in the the land of Italy. And he learned to respond just like that. And he learned that when you respond just like that, you find that it is the fulfillment of God's will that is being accomplished through you. And you know what satisfaction that brings? God speaks. Now, okay. Now, okay. Now, okay. Sometimes God says, now. And we say, ah. I'm not real confident about this. Can I tell you? When God calls you, You go with absolute confidence because it's going to be the best thing you can ever experience. You all know that, don't you? Do you live that way? We can only hope. If our ambitions are going to be brought into line with God's purpose, it's going to affect every part of our lives. It's going to affect the way we are educated, it's going to affect the mate that we pursue. It's going to affect the occupation that we embrace. It's going to affect our free time, the avocations that we have. It's going to affect every part of our lives. And it isn't disappointing when God closes a door. It's His saying, that's your ambition. Let me give you the one you should have. Then it's good. Let's stand. By the way, some of you are probably wondering if we're uh, meeting tonight, if we're having a service, and to me, it just comes down to this. Um, We gather for a time of fellowship, for a time of worship, for a time of instruction, for a time of ministry, or watch some game that nobody will remember in three years I'm just being a wise guy (laughs) some of you know uh, listen if you're getting together tonight to watch the Super Bowl see you have to say something about this this is the 800-pound gorilla that's in the room all right if you have arrangements to watch the game tonight just understand you're missing worship and fellowship and ministry (laughs) no no. I'm just kidding I'm just kidding let's uh, no let's pray Father, what a privilege it is to be part of your family. Father, to live under the umbrella of your grace and not under the restrictions of the law. And Father, even though we we joke about the events today, we know, Lord, that there is a, a grace with you that allows for the enjoyment of things in this life as well as that which we are committed to for eternity. I thank you, Lord, that you are a God that cares so much about each one of us that you close doors to protect us, to give us greater vision, and to make us more confident in you. And you open doors so that we can serve you faithfully and then hear from your lips, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thank you for what you have planned for all of your children. In Jesus' name. Amen. Have a good day.